Amen. All right, well, good morning. And as you guys, most of you probably know that today marks the beginning of Passion Week or Holy Week. And today is what most people would consider Palm Sunday. And that's the day that uh, remembers Christ's triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And the people, I believe, were recognizing him. There were some that were recognizing him as the true Messiah, as the Christ, the one who was going to bring in the kingdom. And they were laying palm branches down, celebrating him. And uh, then we're going to, you know, as we move in through Holy Week, Wednesday celebrates Judas' betrayal of Christ. And then on Friday, as most of you know, we call it Good Friday. And Good Friday is good for us, but it wasn't good for Christ. It was a day of immense suffering, humiliation, and ultimately death, where he took the punishment for our sins. And then next Sunday marks Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday, the celebration of Christ's victory over death and over sin, and the uh, offer that he is able to offer us, which is eternal life and abundant life. So we're not going to be having any uh, formal celebrations for Holy Week, but I would encourage you to take some time during this week to meditate on those things, to worship God, and just as Garrett was saying in his prayer, that your heart would be opened up to the love that God has for you. Because really, although when we look at this week and this, this one week of Christ's life, it's very evident that we are loved by God. And so if you would use this week as you meditate and worship to open your heart up to the love that God has for you, I believe that even though we're not having any formal uh, ceremonies or celebrations or services that you would benefit greatly from reflecting on what Christ has done for you. And uh, with that, if you do want a Good Friday service, uh, Grace Asian has invited us. That will be in the newsletter, the, um, the address and the time. If you want to join them, they've invited us to join them for a Good Friday service. So if you would like to have a Good Friday service together with some folks and worship with some people that you know, you could head over there. So on the note of Christ's resurrection, we know that following his resurrection, there were 40 days where he appeared with his disciples and hung out with them. And that's kind of where we started in the book of Acts last week, where Christ was talking with his disciples, spent about 40 days with them, and he commissioned them, didn't he? He commissioned them to go make him known throughout all the world, you know, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, he said. And then he, if you remember, he ascended. And then it says that the disciples went and prayed together, and then they chose another one uh, to, to fill Judas' shoes. The, they chose another 12 disciples. Does anybody remember who that was? Matthias, that's right. Did anybody read ahead this week by any chance? Anyone know what's going to happen in chapter 2? we got a couple people. All right. So last week we spoke about the fact that God uses small groups of ordinary, imperfect people to carry out his plan. That's very often how God works. He doesn't uh, usually pick the uh, popular, have-it-all-together, large groups. If you look, even the nation of Israel, who he chose, was the smallest nation. He said, in fact, that's one of the re reasons he chose them. So as a short person, 
I feel like there's some good news in that message for some of us that God wants to use uh, s- small people, you know. So, but for us, we talked about the fact that God uses a passionate group of people. These, uh, this small group, they were passionate. And they were passionate because they got to know Jesus Christ. They actually experienced Him. They spent time with Him and got to know Him. And so God just doesn't use just passionate people like, oh, I'm Italian, I'm an impassioned person. No, not, not, not necessarily just being a passionate person, but a passionate person for Jesus Christ. And we become passionate by getting to know him and uh, building a relationship with him. Then our heart, and we talk uh, and enjoy and reflect on his love for us, that usually increases our passion, right? I couldn't force you. I want you to go out of here and be passionate for Christ. It doesn't happen like that. It happens as we embrace what he's done for us. And then we talked about the fact that, you know, he used an empowered group of people. And this group of people, remember, he said, I want you guys to wait. We'll talk a little bit more about this. But I want you guys to wait, hang out in Jerusalem. Just wait. Don't try and do this all on your own resources, your own power. Wait for my Holy Spirit. And so God uses a group of people that are not relying on themselves but are trusting in God. And so if we want to be used of God, it's important for us to not be trusting in our own resources, our own self, our own abilities, but to be resting on God's empowerment. And then we talked about the fact that he uses faithful people. This group of people were the ones that said they were there from the beginning of John, when John baptized Christ, all the way through. Christ's life and ministry, and they followed him. They were there on the dusty roads. They were there, to, you know, uh, when he was being tested by the scribes and Pharisees, but they were followers. They were faithful followers. And I, I think that in a lot of ways, uh, that's a great mark of our church. We have a lot of faithful followers. Being a faithful follower doesn't mean you'll be famous, right? We talked about that. doesn't mean you're going to be famous. So as we look into this week's message, we're going to see, you know, last week may have left you thinking, okay, you have this, what I would call ragtag group, uh, 12 disciples, and, you know, one of them just brand new into the disciple crowd. You have 120 up in this room, but yet he says, you guys are going to be the ones that spread this message to the end of the earth. And you may be thinking, so how is this group going to do that? And we're going to find out today, but if you would think about it, they didn't have TV, they didn't have radio, they didn't have internet, they didn't have texting, they didn't have news, they didn't have any, they didn't have automobiles, they didn't have planes, they didn't have any of those things. So imagine that if I said this group, this small group, a small group like us, not necessarily uh, a bunch of... um, you know, highly connected people, I would say. We're just kind of an average bunch of people. Wait, we have a message we want you to get out to the ends of the earth by the end of the year or within the next couple years. But you can't use your phone. You can't use your computer. You can't get in your car and spread that. But we don't want it to just leave Phoenix. We don't want it to just leave Arizona. We don't want it to just leave the United States. We want it to spread to all the world. How would we do that? I mean, you think about what... God was planning to do through them. Well, we're going to get a sneak peek at how God does that today as we read through. And I'll I'll tell you, there are some miraculous things in this passage we're going to read about 
but there are some perplexing and confusing things also. And hopefully, as we go through this, we'll be able to not just appreciate what God did, but be able to take away some truths for ourselves that I hope you'll leave here super encouraged and feel empowered yourself as we leave. So, I'm going to read through the passage here in a second. Today's message is, you've been given what it takes. We like that message, right? You have what it takes. Uh, we'll, we'll develop that as we go along. Now, I'm going to read through this passage, and then I'm going to pray one more time, and we'll dive into explaining a few of these things. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house. I'm going to read from my Bible instead of from that screen, so I don't have to be. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them. Tell me when to click. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all of these who speak Galatian, or Galileans? Sorry. And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Thanks. How did I know be Carly and Emery? <laughs> Parthenians and Medes and Eliamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia... Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? And others mockingly said, They are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, which is 9 a.m. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, God says God, that I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and on my men servants and on my maidservants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for the life that we have because of him. We do thank you for uh, just the celebration that uh, our many have adopted of having a Passion Week uh, so that we could remember and take time to focus on what your son did for us. I pray that as today we go through this passage that has a lot of confusing things in many ways, amazing things, 
that you would open up our minds, our hearts, and that you would fill each person here with encouragement and clarity about the message. And we pray these things in your precious Son's name. Amen. Amen. All right. So I'm going to go through and just uh, make a few points if you're following along in in your uh, notes. And first of all, is the Holy Spirit arrived as promised? As we read this passage, remember he said to them uh, that they were all in one place. They were sitting. That's not what I want. The Holy Spirit arrived as promised. And if you remember, he had told them back in Luke, don't go running off and trying to do this on your own. Just wait in Jerusalem. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you a helper. And then even in Acts last week, we looked at the fact that uh, they were promised the Holy Spirit. And so God had told them that He would send the Holy Spirit, and He did follow through on it. And, and just something for us to think about is, God doesn't expect us to carry out His commands, His instructions on our own resources and on our own abilities. And a lot of times as believers, we can think that that's the case, and we can just try and muscle up, and we can try and straighten ourselves out, And if you've been following Christ for any time or trying to clean up our own act or try and be holy on our our own uh, initiative, and I'll tell you, that is an exhausting, burnout type approach to following Christ. And it really is miserable. It's a religious approach. And then at best, you end up becoming a hypocrite that can put on a good outside show but not having true life flowing from within because you're just so miserable from trying to go through the motions. And so he did not want that at all. He said, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. And he promised that and he followed through. And another note is God always keeps his promises. Always. We read through scripture and there may be stuff we say, well, how is that going to happen? The stuff that's going to happen in Revelation or how is that? It's going to happen. I don't know how. I can't spell out all the details, but I know this. When God makes a promise, He keeps it. All of Romans 9 through chapter 11, as confusing as it is, is making one point. God follows through on what He says He's going to do. That's just the case. It's important for us to realize that. The Holy Spirit arrived in power, didn't He? I mean, think about really what's going on here. There's this loud uh, sound of wind. That's what kind of kicks the whole thing off. And I don't think this is if you're up ever, you know, up north camping and you're in your, your lounge chair and you hear the kind of the bristling through the breeze. I don't think it was probably that kind of wind. It was like think freight train wind, think hurricane wind, because what it did is it caused all the people to come join and to come find out what the noise was. So I don't think, and, and who is this? this the, the group of people that are giving this account are telling about what happened. Uh, many of them are sailors that had spent time out on the Sea of Galilee. I mean, they knew what crazy winds were like. But to them, this was some kind of supernatural uh, occurrence. And then it says that something like flames of fire rested on the head of each one. I have no idea what that really is or what it actually looked like. But this is something supernatural, isn't it? This is nothing, uh, there's no human explanation for these things. And they rested on the head of each one. And then as as we'll talk about a little bit more, 
they, uh, you know, they each ended up speaking in their own language. And, and when it talks about the fact that he says, you know, and these are Galileans. Basically, what he's basically saying is like, these are kind of the country bumpkins of the regions. Like, these guys don't know languages. They, they can't be speaking these languages like this. So something supernatural has happened. And I liked what one commentator said. He said, when you have wind and you have fire, it creates a blaze. And, and again, he's kind of just drawing a little bit of a picture there. But that is, I think, a good picture of what's happening is the power of God, the supernatural power of God. So God did keep his promise and he delivered the Holy Spirit in power. And, and so, you know, we think about supernatural power. Natural power can be huge, can it? I mean, you think about an individual's power. A, a one individual, whether it's political or just influence or physical strength, one individual, that's natural power. There's power there. You think about the powers of nature, right? I mean, what could be more natural than the powers of nature? This is, we're talking, I mean, the powers of nature can be powerful, can't they? We're talking about supernatural, beyond nature, beyond any human explanation. And, and, and that is the Holy Spirit. The power of God is beyond any human power. And the Holy Spirit empowered individuals. Here it says, each one, and, and those flames of fire rested on each one's head. And you know what's interesting about this in the Old Testament as you look, there, there are a few prophets, and we'll talk about Joel's prophecy here in a bit, but there are some, uh, it would be just an individual would get a touch of the Holy Spirit or a working of the Holy Spirit to carry out uh, a prophecy or some divine act. And you think of maybe even like Gideon and, and some of the things that Gideon had done. But here, each one, the individuals were given and filled with the Holy Spirit. So as we look at that, we begin to see, oh, this is how God's going to do it. There's supernatural power involved. It's not a bunch of country bumpkin uh, mismatch of, of uh, ragtag group here uh, just doing it on their own. It's a mishmash small group that are doing something that God wanted them to do through supernatural power and accomplishing a plan that he said was going to happen. Like the disciples, we've been given the Holy Spirit. You read this, doesn't that sound amazing? Doesn't that sound powerful? I mean, you look at that, and, and even the terms here he uses, is, you know, uh, first he had talked about it, John baptized with water, and then here it even talks, it uses the phrase baptized, and then it talks about the, the term filled. And so in Scripture, baptize, we always think of baptize as you dunk somebody, right? That's what we, sometimes someone might picture a sprinkle. The dunking is actually a little bit more, uh, using the terms, uh, use, going terminology-wise is, is more correct. It has the idea of complete identification when somebody is baptized. And so they would even, in ancient manuscripts, they would talk about a piece of cloth being baptized into the dye. And so what happens is, is it's, it is the same piece of cloth, but it is now completely identified with whatever it is, purple dye. It's purple cloth now. 
And so these are baptized by the Holy Spirit. And then the scriptures even tell us that we have been baptized into, into Christ, that we've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so we as believers have this same spirit in us. And filled has the idea of con controlled or influenced by. So, you know, he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. What he's saying there is be influenced or controlled by the spirit. And so this is a possibility for all believers to be indwelt by God and to be controlled by God. Is that pretty? I mean, that's amazing. If, if you really think about it, think about the reality of that, that God has taken and has closed this gap between himself and man. He closed it, first of all, by bringing his son into the world in human flesh. And then he closes it even more and says, I am going to live inside of individual believers. I, I honestly can't wrap my mind around that. It, but it says in Scripture, and people say, well, it's more like a force or it's more like an energy of God. No, it says you are the temple of God. The temple of God. God the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And so when we, we read about it and we say, You've got what it takes for a message. And we've also been given the commission or the mission to go out and make Christ known. You think, like, what do I have to offer? Well, really in and of yourself, probably not a lot. Maybe just some annoying habits and, uh, you know, a few small talents. But you probably don't have a lot if you're like your pastor, which I think a lot of you are. But... By God's work, God's mercy, God's grace, and the, the filling that God gives, we have supernatural power that we've been given. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this. So as you're going through the notes, um, here's some scriptures that talk about that. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That's good news. It's good for us to reflect on the fact that we have God in us. So if you're taking notes, this would be the point above all those little bullet points we just went through. The Holy Spirit provides us with God's supernatural power. That's good news. It really is. Now let's read this next section. 2, 5 through 13. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. They were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? In other words, the country bumpkins? How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? All those names of places, which I already read once. So you're not going to make me read them again. And so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, uh, whatever could this mean? Others mockingly said, they are full of new wine. And the reality is that God gave them the ability to speak these languages that they had not previously known. We don't have tons of time to get into the whole issue of tongues, but this is the first instance of tongues that 
you know, that Scripture records for us. And you can see some of the purpose here. I'm going to try and keep this short, but I feel like I want to just address a few of the, some basic ideas in the teachings of tongues. And there's a wide, wide, wide spectrum on that. And uh, I don't know if I'm going to make enemies here or not today, but I'll, I'll try and tell you what I, I believe. So let me just first go through what some of the basic ideas are. Some of the basic ideas are, which this passage would give the idea, that it is just strictly human languages, that God enables somebody to speak a human language that they had not previously known. Then there's the idea that that's what they mean in Acts, but if you go to 1 Corinthians 14, that it is an angelic or spiritual language that's either spoken to God or to men. It's not a human language. It's not uh, necessarily to men or to God, but it could be to God or to men. And the passages, if you read 1 Corinthians 14, you can see why some of that would, would be thought. And some people would say that tongues were a gift for a certain time. They were a sign gift for getting the message out and letting people know about Jesus Christ and demonstrating that all this new stuff that was going on was of God. It wasn't just uh, some new sect of uh, Judaism that it had, had come about, but in fact that it was from God and uh, that it ceased at a certain point, many would say by the end of the book of Acts, that tongues was uh, not, uh, you can see it kind of die out over the time of the book of Acts, and that's not relevant for today. Others would say that it is, it's relevant for today, it's necessary for today as much as it was uh, previously, and it's a sign or a mark of possessing the Holy Spirit, that it's a necessary sign for possessing the Holy Spirit. I'm hitting the big ideas out here. There's a bunch of other little ones uh, woven in. Have you, you guys have kind of heard one or two or a few of these ideas? Um, and so some would say that they, they've ceased. Some would say that they, they haven't ceased. Some would uh, say that it was just a gift for certain individuals. Some would say even today that it, it's a mark that all Christians should have this experience. Uh, and that it's a mark of being baptized by the Holy Spirit. And so, I'm going to try and just whittle down just a few things. Clearly, we can see here that it was a language issue. So, in Acts 1, and I personally believe, one, I don't believe this issue disqualifies anybody for salvation or not salvation or you know, we could disagree about this right and left and be brothers and sisters and hang out and have lots of fun here on earth and in heaven together. So uh, it's not like, you know, which side of the fence are you on? But I believe that this is, um, I, I believe that this is, it's a, it's a language, it's a real language that God empowers, empowered people to speak. I do believe that if necessary or when necessary, that God could do the same thing today. And I believe that there are probably cases where in some remote situations that he does that. Um, I also have people I highly respect. I mean, Bible scholars I highly respect that say that they speak in tongues. That's their prayer language, which I know where they get that from, 1 Corinthians 14. I believe in that passage, Paul is making the example and saying tongues are... For corporate, 
for others, not for yourself. So, big topic. Not going to be able to cover all of it. If you want to talk about it, I love talking about that stuff. I mean, we can talk about it. Other people here are going to just move on and we don't even really care. But the reality is, this is, becomes a super confusing issue. And what's a shame is what it's really doing, if nothing else right here, it shows what God's plan was and that God could accomplish it. That his plan was to let the whole world know. And how are these guys going to do this? How's this small group? Because God's going to empower them to do it. And he's even going to give them the ability to speak languages that they couldn't speak on their own. He's going to develop in them or he's going to create in them something that they just could not come up with in any way, shape, or form on their own. That's good news for us. That's how God works. And so God always equips and empowers us to do what he's told us to do. If God asks you to do something... He's given you whatever it takes to accomplish that. And so a lot of times, you know, if God's wanting you to grow in a certain area or wanting you to start something or stop something or uh, mature in this, in this way, He's given you the resources. He, he's not asking you to go out and do something on your own that He has not equipped or empowered you to do. That's not the way God works. Here again is a great, great example. He's asking these guys to go make the message known throughout the whole world. Well, what does he do? He lets them speak all these different languages that they can reach the world. God gives us the ability to do what he wants us to do. The Holy Spirit makes the mighty works of God known. And so when we look at Scripture, you can begin to think like, so why all of a sudden this, uh, why the Holy Spirit, why now? I believe personally for us, it's important for us to consider the work of the Holy Spirit in us. I believe it says, Christ says that the Spirit will glorify Jesus Christ and that He wants to do that through us. You ever wonder why when I got saved, why when I put my faith in Christ, didn't He just beam me up? Well, He wants us to be testimonies down here on earth. But not just testimonies of us working real hard and being miserable Christians that look down our nose at other Christians or whatever else it is. He wants us to be Christians and believers that have the supernatural power of God working in us. And so the Holy Spirit, I believe we've been given the Holy Spirit so that we can make Christ known. Not just for our own comfort. He is a comforter. He is the helper. He uh, convicts of sin. But He also was given to us, and I would say maybe even primarily given to us, not for our own benefit, but so that we would be able to make Christ known. You think, so how, how does that work for us? Well, think about it. The Holy Spirit empowers us to have victory over sin. That's supernatural, right? You ever try to kick a habit on your own? It doesn't usually go too well. Empowers us to have the character of Christ. Empowers us with spiritual gifts. All these things point to Christ and point to the power of God. So we've been given the Holy Spirit so that we can make Christ known. Did, you, did it? If you're writing those down. Victory over sin, character of Christ, spiritual gifts. And then what happens here? You have this group, and some of them are devout. They're God-following, and we're going to see even more about this next week. 
Some of them are devout God-following. And then you have this other group that's a bunch of mockers, right? Is the Holy Spirit still the Holy Spirit? Did the Holy Spirit show up? Is He doing supernatural things? Yeah, but that doesn't guarantee that everyone's going to respond appropriately to the Holy Spirit. Right? God may be working in you, changing you, growing you, and you know what? Your family might hate it. Oh, now you're little Mr. Goody Two-Shoes. That doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's not working in you. It might mean you're being a little self-righteous and snobby. I don't know. But it doesn't necessarily mean just because you're getting rejected or made fun of or people aren't uh, responding to the truth that you've given them does not mean that the Holy Spirit is not at work in you. So we can't guarantee that. Here you have the Spirit moving in a huge, dynamic, powerful, supernatural, clearly supernatural way. And you have some people are going, huh, probably just drank too much which you think about that and you think how could they even believe that really I mean it seems like there were enough people around that you would know this is a language it's not just uh, I mean a few of you people have heard drunk people talk right yeah. a few people of you have been drunk people talking yeah. but <laughs> but it doesn't usually sound like somebody's speaking a whole other foreign language right so, so well, sometimes. Uh, but the reality is that just because the Holy Spirit's moving or working doesn't mean that people are going to respond appropriately. So the, the second big bullet point you'd have is we were given the Holy Spirit so that we could make Christ known. So God dwelling in you so that Christ could be known through you. So I'm just going to make a few points here. We read through the prophecy of Joel. Did something, did anything stand out to you when you went through that prophecy and think, well, not all that hap is happening right there. What is this dreaming of dreams and prophesying? That's not really what's happening here. Well, I believe that that's because what he's talking about is that the pouring out of the Spirit marked the beginning of a new season, but not its completion. So what that means is when the Holy Spirit was poured out, it marks a new chapter in God's plan. It, it marks out a new season in God's redemptive plan. It's a, and in fact, Pentecost is a celebration 50 days after Passover, okay? So... Passover, remember Christ when he instituted the Lord's Supper in the upper room? That's Passover. Fifty days later is this celebration. And then the Jews would many times, what they were, uh, it started as some other things, but what it had kind of adopted into was this celebration of the law being delivered at Sinai. So it was this thing that they're celebrating, celebrating this, celebrating, we got the law, the, the, the birthday of the law. Well, here God takes that same thing, that same date, and changes it into, here's a new era, it's the birthday of the Holy Spirit being poured out on men and in men. And if you go back to the passage here, what does he say? Uh, he says, uh, I will pour out of my Spirit on all flesh, and my maid, men servants and my maid servants, Made servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And so the reality of that is, up to this point, 
That's not how God's Holy Spirit was given out. It wasn't given to just any old Joe. But now he's saying, that they're looking back and going, oh, this is what Joel's talking about. That's the part of the prophecy I think that he's, uh, Peter's referring to, that this is the, the mark of the end of days. And I think Peter probably thought the end of days were right around the corner. And so he's like, this is it, the pouring out of the Spirit. It's on us. This is what Joel had said. And so Pentecost was that mark of uh, the Old Testament, Old Covenant. And the Old Covenant, if we say, or the Old Testament focuses on what? God's law and sacrifices to cover sin. Okay, catch this. The Old Covenant focuses on the law and sacrifices to cover sin. The New Testament or the New Covenant focuses on the finished work of Christ that takes away sin and that we have new life in us. They didn't get the new life in the Old Covenant. We get new life in us. We get the Spirit. And so that's what Joel's... uh, testimony there, his prophecy is saying, hey, the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out on, on all sorts of regular old Joes are going to get the Holy Spirit. And so it marks this new time, and, and, and we would, a lot of uh, theologians would say this is the birthday of the church. This is where the church age was born. This is when the church was, uh, began, because Israel isn't the church. And all of a sudden you have these Jews who then uh, are filled with the Holy Spirit and they become believers, as we're going to read about in the next couple of weeks. That's the birthday. That's when the church began, is here in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit. It's a new era. But it's not complete, right? The, the end times obviously are not perfectly completed. But let me just say this. Let's just use four seasons. If there's four seasons in a year before the end of the year, that last season, winter, right? It, there's a beginning of winter and an end of winter. If you look at God's plan, we're in the winter. It may not be the very last day of winter. This day that we're reading about here was maybe that first day of that last season. Does that make sense? And so he does something new. But there are, so we are in the end times. This is talking about the New Covenant. If you have those verses there, you could look that up later. I think this is a great passage to show that there was a shift from the law to the Spirit of God. It says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the lust of the flesh is against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things you wish. We can all relate to that, but check this out. But if you are led by the Spirit... You are not under the law. So what he's letting them know is the, the law has been done away with and the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit supersedes the law. This is good news for people like us. We don't have to live under the Old Testament commands. We have people with tattoos in here. You wouldn't be allowed to have tattoos. We have people that probably had a pork chop last night. You wouldn't be able to have a pork chop. We had some people that committed sins that probably didn't go and uh, go to the temple this morning before they showed up here to have their sins. That's Old Testament. The ministry of the Holy Spirit supersedes that. Praise God. The end times have already begun. 
And then it says here in his in the passage, it says, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So let me just say this. The end times have begun. I believe what he's talking about there when he talks about uh, they'll see wonders in heaven above and below and blood and fire and vapor and smoke and the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon into blood. I believe what he's talking about there is the tribulation. And that's God's judgment poured out. And that's the, the last of the last. Like That's the last days of winter. I believe the church gets raptured before that, but then you're going to have these events happen where God does pour out His wrath on mankind. Does pour out His uh, just wrath on those who have not turned to Jesus Christ. But it says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the context of this passage. So that we can be saved from God's judgment. I believe God's judgment in that occasion but also God's eternal condemnation or separation from God by calling out on the name of the Lord. And that's what Peter's, and we're going to see here, Peter gives a, uh, this is just the first half of his sermon to this group. He starts with this thing with Joel, and we're going to see next week where he moves in, and the Holy Spirit is working on these people. Some turn to Christ, and some, their conscience is is eaten at them, the Holy Spirit is convicting them, and they're filled with rage. And that's what we would say, the Holy Spirit in us is either working on you or through you. So if God's not working through you, He's probably working on you to change something, to grow. But praise God, He's working with us and for us. All of that is for us. And so the the beautiful thing here is... We're given the opportunity to call out on the name of the Lord and be rescued, to be saved. And if you imagine living in that last day when God's wrath is being poured out, you probably would want to call out to be rescued. And we, as we contemplate maybe our last day, it could be any one of our last day today. And we can call out to God and be rescued. And we don't have to face His wrath, don't have to face punishment because Jesus Christ already took that at the cross. And that can be applied to us. And so the, the reality of that is, if you say, well, why cry out? Well, all that is is a picture of faith, right? When you're crying out, it's a picture of going, I trust you to save me, right? If this burn, building was burning and I cried out, Mark, save me! That shows... That, that shows that I trust that Mark has the ability, has the capacity, the capabilities to rescue me. I have faith in him. In and of myself, I'm absolutely desperate. But I put my faith in somebody to rescue me, and that's why he says, call out to the name of the Lord. And so we see this beautiful picture here. What he's saying is, hey, these are the last days. The last days are upon us. Look at all this stuff that's happening. These guys are probably like, what is going on? Well, God's working big time. End days are here. But you know what? You can be rescued by simply calling out to the name of the Lord. And I would say that that's one of my big messages here for us today. Because I believe there are people that are trusting in their own works. There are people that are trusting in showing up to church. There are people that are trusting in their backgrounds. There are people that are trusting in whatever it might be. But the reality of the matter is, call out to the name of the Lord. There's one who can rescue you. And it's not yourself, and it's not church, and it's not me, and it's not a book, and it's not even the Bible. 
This tells about the rescuer. The rescuer is Jesus Christ. And he's the one that we call out to. He's the one we say, I'm trusting in you to save me. I'm trusting in what you did on the cross. I'm trusting that you defeated sin, that you defeated death. I'm calling out you, save me, and you shall be saved. You shall be rescued. Isn't that beautiful? It doesn't say straighten yourself out, get cleaned up, fix this, fix that. Call out. Be a charity case, and I'll save you. I can do that. <laughs> I'm a big enough mess to be able to do that, praise God. And that's business between you and God. I'm going to say, march down here and raise your hand. That's not what it says. That's something for you and God to take care of in your own heart. Whoever. Well, you don't know what I've done. You're right. I don't know what you've done, but I know whoever. You fit the whoever category. I do know that. Praise God. <clears throat> We've been given the Holy Spirit so we can make the sal message of salvation known during these last days. That's one of the reasons we've been given the Holy Spirit, is to make that message known. I know I'm over. Give me just a few more minutes. So when we talk about you've been given what it takes, it's not just given what it takes to be a cool guy or gal or, you know, get financially on top of everything, but you've been given what it takes to make Christ known and to spread that message of salvation. This passage makes it abundantly clear that we've been given what it takes and the reality of that is, it's not because we're so awesome or because of our own resources. It's because God mercifully gave His Holy Spirit to us. He closed the gap between Himself and mankind. He said, I'm going to give you a gift of the Holy Spirit. You can make me known. You can first be saved through my Son, Jesus Christ. And you can be given the Holy Spirit. You can be one of those who you don't have to go out on the mission field. You don't have to get some weird uh, churchy clothes. You don't have to do anything. You just let the Spirit of God live through you. Be a walking, talking temple of God. And people will know about God and His wonderful plan by just getting to know you. That's a good news message. We've been given what it takes to make Christ known. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your Son. We do thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you for this group of people. I trust that you brought uh, the people here that you wanted here uh, today to hear this message, and I just ask that you would use it, use these truths to encourage, to equip, to strengthen each person here, that if there is anyone here who has not turned to you for salvation or is trusting in something else, God, please open up their hearts right now and uh, allow them to just make that decision, just to say yes I want you to save me. And then give them full confidence, God. I ask that you would give them full confidence that they're saved because of your ability to save, not because they did it right or didn't do it right or whatever, but that they know that you are a God who saves and wants to rescue any who call out. And so we trust you to work in each of our hearts. And we do thank you for this week to reflect on what your son has done for us. And we pray these things in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.